This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Well, again, it's my privilege to be here. My name is Mike Anderson. I'm an ordained minister and a marriage and family counselor. I've been married for 36 years. My beautiful bride's back there supporting me here today. Um, I'm a father of three. One of my sons is here today and his uh, beautiful girlfriend. And uh, I've got three grandkids and another one on the way. Uh, but most importantly, uh, I know the love and grace of Jesus Christ, and I'm a follower of his. And uh, let's take a moment to pray as we begin. Dear Lord, we do thank you for this Sunday and this chance to look into your word and to praise your name and to be together with family and friends, Lord. We ask that your spirit of grace and friendship and wisdom and discernment would guide us, empower us, would lead us into your presence for your name's sake, for your purposes. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm wondering how many of you have a favorite song right now, a song that you just love to have come on the radio? You know what that song is? Yeah, maybe you'll turn it up. Maybe you even pull over to take it in because you like that song so much. You wake up with it in your brain. You don't even consciously choose it. You're in the shower. You find yourself singing it. Okay, you have a song like that, or maybe from time to time you get a song like that. Uh, there, in the middle of the Bible is a group of songs. We refer to them oftentimes as psalms, but they're actually, many of them are songs, and you'll see little instrumental notations and indications next to those. And I'm wondering if you have a favorite psalm song. Is there one that you just go to? Maybe it's the first psalm. It talks about trees and fruit and, and water. Or maybe it's the eighth psalm. talks about the majesty of God and the dignity of humanity. That's another great psalm. Maybe it's Psalm 18. Maybe it's Psalm 103. Maybe it's Psalm 139. Maybe it's the last psalm, 150. Maybe for, probably for most of us, um, Psalm 23 comes to mind as a favorite psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lay down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I mean, just a beautiful, beautiful psalm. The psalm that we're looking at this morning has none of those qualities, okay? Um, it's not one of my favorite psalms. It's not even in the top 25, of, uh, but it's growing on me, and hopefully it'll grow on all of us as we go through it today. And let's take a look at that. It's psalm 129. And Psalms is the book of Psalms, almost in the middle of your Bible, if you have a Bible you're looking at. But I also have it up here, and it says this. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth, let Israel say. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth, but they have not gained victory over me. Plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long, but the Lord is righteous. He has cut me from the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be turned back in shame or humiliation. May they be like the grass on the roof, which withers before it can grow. A reaper cannot fill his hands with it, nor one who gathers fill his arms. May those who pass by not say to them, the blessing of the Lord be on you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Not all that inviting or melodic or encouraging at at first read, especially when we consider some of these other Psalms or Even if we look at the bookends of Psalm 129, look at Psalm 128 and how it starts out. Blessed or happy or fortunate are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Now that sounds more like it, doesn't it? It's more like a a life verse. And then on the other side, Psalm 130, 
which starts out as a cry to the Lord for help, but then it, it, it goes into this poetic and, and sing-song kind of verse, and then it ends with this affirmation and call to faith, and it says this, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. I mean, amen. Doesn't, that sounds good, doesn't it? Redemption. But what do we get in Psalm 129? Basically, what we get is pain and anger. The psalmist says, I've been greatly oppressed from my youth. That's my history. And then to emphasize it, he says it again in so many words. I've been oppressed for as long as I can remember. It's like my enemies have thrown me to the ground or trampling over me and plowing deep furrows in my back. It doesn't get much more humiliating and, and painful than that. And so we're naturally not drawn into that. We don't even maybe want to picture what that's like. We certainly don't want to feel what he's feeling here to some degree. My wife and I, uh, a while back, when the Oscars came out, we were, felt compelled to go see a movie, or maybe we rented it, and we rented uh, 12 Years a Slave. Have you seen that? The book, by the way, is, is much better than the movie, but we were, we were kind of drawn to the, the movie. We saw some of the, the clips, but there was a part of us that also didn't want to go see it because we knew we'd be drawn into the story and we'd have to empathize and try to understand the pain and the suffering that these slaves went through. And it was incredible pain and suffering. And, and of course, a movie invites you to, to suffer right along with them. My wife and I on occasion go down to, and so has our family, gone down to Juarez, Mexico. In fact, uh, the gardeners went with us. Uh, we went on a marriage enrichment mission trip to Juarez. Doesn't sound like your typical marriage enrichment destination, does it? But, and then part of us, we've been there before. We love the people. We, we, we love their spirit and what God is doing there. But there's another part of us that always feels this push-pull. You know, we, we're not sure we want to go because of the, some of the hardship and some of the poverty that we'll see there. And then we'll come back and we'll wrestle with, you know, how come people have to suffer like this in, in this day and age, and we'd have this, this struggle. And this is the kind of struggle that we're seeing in Psalm 129. We see this pain. We see this hurt. We're not naturally drawn to it. There's so much unresolved pain here that maybe we, we want to go on to another psalm. And then our psalmist doesn't even have the decency to wrap it up with a kind of praise the Lord and everything's good now. He just maintains his, his anger. Instead, he says in so many words, I hope that my enemies get absolutely no reward for their efforts. He just ignores. Even in the Old Testament, there's uh, encouragement to love our enemies and do good, but he just blows right past that. And in so many words, again, he's saying, I pray that no one even wishes them good luck or God's blessings. So what is this psalm doing here? Why is this included? And in what, maybe in your Bible, you'll see a little subtitle says Psalm of Ascent. There's 15 Psalms of Ascent in the Bible. And why is this one, why was this one chosen to be a part of this collection? Well, that's a good question. And let's back up a little bit and uh, give some context. And maybe we can understand why the psalm is here and then what meaning it hopefully has for our life. Well, the Psalms of, of Ascent are a collection of psalms that the pilgrims, the uh, Israelite pilgrims, sang as they traveled up to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem isn't all that high. It's about 2,500 feet, but there's valleys around it. So as you actually go to Jerusalem, especially if you started at the Dead Sea, you're going up to Jerusalem. And these are the songs that they sang as they went up there. And the people of Israel were commanded 
to go at least three times a year to Israel to remember their heritage, to celebrate the Lord. Now, because it was a long journey and uh, they couldn't always afford to go three times a year, they at least went to one. And if you know anything about the life of Jesus, you probably are familiar at least with one of those festivals or feasts, because it was at that one of these festivals or feasts that Jesus got separated from his family. Remember that? They came, they had the, the feast, and then the family took off, and they're like two days journey, if you can imagine. And they're like, where's Jesus? Oh, yeah. So they have to come back. And here's what Luke says about that. Here's the context. Every year, Jesus' parents went to the Jerusalem, to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. Now, there are a couple other festivals, and, and the festival that Jesus was out and his family referred to here was the Passover festival. Most of us have heard of the Passover. Passover is the, the time in the life of the nation of Israel where the angel of death passed over their homes where they put the blood of the Passover lamb on their doorpost, and uh, they were not affected. It's also sometimes referred to as the Feast of Unleavened Bread because the unleavened bread is what they then took with them when they fled Egypt, when they fled from slavery and they headed out into the wilderness. So this is the, this is the first uh, festival that pilgrims would be singing these psalms to. And then there's Pentecost. Pentecost, also known as the Feast of Weeks, because it happens seven weeks after Passover and on that 50th day, thus Penta, uh, we have the Pentecost uh, festivity. Uh, it's also known as Shavat. Shavat is um, a time where they thank the Lord and remember that the Lord gave them the law, gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai. So that's all that they're celebrating along with um, the Feast of Harvest. So it's an agricultural time of thanking the Lord for provision for the wheat harvest as well. And then there was one other main feast, and that was the Feast of Ingathering. This is when the, uh, the, the grapes and the fruit uh, would, would come to fruition, and they'd, they'd celebrate that. It was also known as the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. And this would remind the people that, oh yes, we were in tents as we, little tabernacles, as we traveled through the wilderness and God was with us. So this is the context where they would sing these psalms and this is where they would sing this particular psalm of ascent. This is the festive background. And so these festivals not only reminded the people of Israel of God's provision in their past journeys, but it also reminded them and now reminds us that we continue to be pilgrims on a journey to God. And if we ever think that we've arrived, that we no longer need to move towards and with God, then we're in big trouble. But we need to remember that God has been a good God in providing for us and that he will continue to be with us as we move forward. Now, why was this particular psalm selected as one of the 15 psalms of ascent? Well, I think a number of reasons but one of the first ones we're going to look at is, is in, in fairly shortly, is that simply it's here because of its honesty. It's honesty. It doesn't present our life, our pilgrimage, as some kind of a easy road, a yellow brick road bereft of hardship or, or suffering or without deep emotions that accompany it. Sometimes when we get hurt or we see other people get hurt, we get angry, we, we get mad. And when we do, we're in good company the people of Israel sang about this for many, many years. 
I saw a church model the other day. I think that kind of reflects the sense of honesty. It said, uh, real people on a real journey. And that's what we need to remember. We're real people on a real journey. And sometimes we do get angry. Sometimes we get mad after being hurt. Here's how one, uh, one scholar sums up Psalm 129. He says, it's no trite statement of an easy faith or shallow optimism. They, God's people, had learned both from history and from experience that the light of salvation lies at the end of a dark tunnel of suffering. They sang the song in the night, as it were. Well, some happy thoughts for our 4th of July weekend. But uh, you know what I like about it and why this is growing on me is, is again, because of the honesty that, that we find here. This psalm is really a call to perseverance. First of all, we're not going to persevere if we're not honest. So perseverance starts with honesty. But this is a call, this is a prescription, the psalm is, for perseverance, for resiliency, for patience, for endurance, for faithfulness, perhaps qualities we'd all like to have, but maybe are not keen on going through what it takes to get there, and maybe not so keen on um, going through situations where we need perseverance, but maybe we can at least agree in theory that we like perseverance. That's a good thing for us to talk about and maybe develop to some, to some degree. And in no doubt, uh, you've experienced the blessing of persevering. Maybe you've persevered after many years of education to get a degree, and then persevered after many years to, to get an education. Or maybe you've, you've decided to climb, as some people have here in our congregation, to climb one of the 14,000-foot peaks, and you've persevered through preparation, then endured the hike up that. Um, there's many ways that I think we, we experience the the joys of, of perseverance. And then on the other hand, you've probably also experienced um, some of the negatives of perseverance not being a part of your life or maybe being, not being a part of somebody else's life that you've, uh, you've counted on. Eugene Peterson, who I'm very indebted to for a lot of the, the thoughts in this sermon, um, he talks about when he was younger that he didn't have this trait of perseverance which is good news for us because he's written like, now he's written like 30 books. He's written more books than I've read. I mean, he's just persevered through all of that. And um, he confesses that he's gone from, uh, from one interest to the other when he was younger. You get all feverish about something like model airplanes. Any of you go through that stage where you just had to build models, you know, and that was really fun. And then he went on to stamp collecting. And he got all the paraphernalia for that and just made a big mess. And then he was done with that. And he got interested in horses, and he and his friends, all they could do is think about horses and riding horses and being with horses. And, and then he got interested in girls. And uh, not a bad progression from models to airplane models all the way to, up to girls. But he had no real stick no perseverance. And maybe you can relate. You know, you've got an interest, you've seen something, you experienced something, you thought, oh, that's what I want to do. So maybe you went out and got all that memory maker paraphernalia, you know, to make memory books and... And then maybe you get interested in kayaking, you get the kayak and the paddles and, and the life vests, or maybe, uh, maybe it's uh, snowshoeing, you get the snowshoes and the poles, and, and then before you know it, you realize you have all this stuff collecting dust in your attic or in your basement or out in your garage, and then you have a garage sale and, and you know, get away from it and, or get rid of that stuff. And maybe these examples are harmless enough, but there are times when we experience the devastating impact of somebody not persevering with us, kind of the burn 
in the hurt of somebody that we're, we're counting on. And this can range from, you know, something maybe as simple as, as somebody not showing up for an appointment to somebody relinquishing a lifetime commitment uh, to love and to protect and to be there for us. I'll give you an example from uh, my own life. Uh, I've taught Sunday school for just about all my adult life and even before my adult life. In fact, uh, for some strange reason, when I was in high school, somebody asked me to teach a middle school Sunday school class. And they were, they were obviously very desperate. They had run through a number of teachers and they thought, you know, what the heck, we'll let Mike give it a shot. And actually, I, I enjoyed that. Uh, and the kids, it seemed to work out okay. And in fact, I still know where some of those adults now are at and, and, and what they're doing. And up until a few years ago, I continued to, to teach Sunday school. I, a number of years ago, I started with a young couples class that morphed into a, a young families class that morphed into a not-so-young families class and then an older class without kids. And anyway, it kept morphing and uh, stayed with it until one season where it wasn't going so well. And uh, some of the leaders were having some issues with each other, and I didn't feel the support of the administration, and had some things going on in my own life, and I, I thought, maybe it's time to end this. I, I went away and prayed. You know, I tried to be spiritual about my decision, and went away and prayed, and I came back, and, and I quit. That was a bad, that was a bad decision. It's one of those, uh, you know that song, you don't know what you've got till it's gone? You know, it was one of those kind of times. And I don't know about you, but uh, I don't want to be known as a quitter. And basically, that's what it boiled down to. A couple of years later, uh, I met with one of the people in the class, and we were talking about the class and the breakup of the class. And they very innocently and straightforwardly said to me, said, uh, why did you abandon us? You know, that's what it feels like when we, sometimes when we don't persevere with our commitments in life or when others don't per- persevere with, uh, with us. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't a time when things do come to an end. Henry Cloud has a book out there called Necessary Endings. There is a time where we close a chapter and move on. But I think in our day and age, we need to probably focus more on a different title. One by Peterson, again, one of his books is entitled A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That's perseverance, a long obedience in the same direction. The subtitle is Discipleship in an Instant Society. And that is basically what our psalm is extolling, continued perseverance, calling his fellow travelers to endure, to hang in there. He's saying, remember all that you've been through, all that God has got you through, all the persecution, all the exiles, but hang in there. Yeah, remember that Israel has been, Jerusalem has been completely destroyed twice in its history. It's been besieged 23 times. It's been attacked 52 times. It's been captured and recaptured 44 times. But persevere, hang in there. And he's saying, he's recounting their long history, not just for the sake of that history and to persevere because of it, but he's also drawing attention to the fact that God has been with them through those tough times persevere because of the history of faithfulness of God. And so in verse 4 again, he says this, but the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. Now, why does God's righteousness, what does that have to do with my persevering, with my enduring, with your enduring? Well, God's righteousness is not some kind of abstract concept. 
When we read about God's righteousness, he's saying, and first of all, we need to remember that through Christ, we have been made righteous. We are now God's righteousness. So in other words, when we remember that God is righteous and that we have been made righteous through Christ, we have a relationship with him. So righteousness, again, is not some kind of abstract concept, but because of God's righteousness, we can go, oh, he's made me righteous. I'm part of his family. He's going to be with me. We can endure. Here's how one, thank you for that. Amen. Here's how one commentator puts puts it. Righteousness is out and out a term of denoting relationship. And it does this in the sense of referring to a real relationship between two parties and not to the relationship of an object under consideration to an idea. He's calling us to a relationship and he will not forget us or turn a blind eye. That's the incentive here. God will be with us. Whatever our suffering, he'll be there. The slavery will stop eventually. The imprisonment will end. Our wounds will be healed. So persevere because God is with us. Now there's another incentive to persevere that we find in the psalm. And this is the incentive of knowing that justice will be served. That one day, judgment will come and justice will be served. You can have an amen for that too, a hallelujah. I'm I'm looking forward to the day when justice is served. So persevere in light of that. And so we read this in in, uh, Psalm... Oh, we read this in Psalm 129, verse 5 again. May all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. May they be like grass on the roof, which withers before it can grow. With it, the reaper cannot fill his hands, nor the one who gathers fill his arms. What is is this about? It's saying that justice will be done. At some point in time, the wicked will get what they deserve. Now, it may look like we're losing on the left and the right right now. It may look like our enemy is, is gaining on us. But all those who oppose God, their victory will be short-lived. Their victory will be shallow. Like grass that has no real roots, their victory is good for nothing. It may show a little promise at first, kind of like my front yard, and then poof. My family knows how true that is. And then poof, it blows away. And Jesus, our perfect model for perseverance, has the same kind of message about victory and about justice as he addresses one of the ancient churches, the church at Philadelphia. And here's his words to that church. I know that you have little strength. You've been persevering for a while. You've been working at this. It's, it's taken its toll. Yet you've kept my word. You've persevered and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. In other words, those who oppose you. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you since you have kept my command to endure patiently. So this is part of, part of our call to persevere. Now I know for some of you, when you read a mystery novel or something along those lines, you probably, some of you like to skip to the end, find out how it all works out, and then you go back and read the book. You can confess that. How many of you like to do that? Some, okay, there's a few of you. That's right. You know what? As, as believers, as followers of, of Christ, sometimes we need to skip to the end. We need to go to the end and go, oh, yeah. You know what? We are going to be victorious. God is going to win. There is going to be justice. And we find this kind of 
encouragement to hang in there because justice will be served, because we will be rewarded for our perseverance. We find this scattered throughout Scripture. And there's another great example in Hebrews where I want to draw our attention. It says this, remember those early days after you had received the light, when you endured, that's this word of perseverance, same word, endured in great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Imagine that. Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you'll receive what has been promised you. So why do we persevere? Because we know that we eventually are going to receive that victory. We eventually are going to receive that reward. My wife is a music teacher. And um, she does some private lessons, but she also teaches in an academy. And there's a program there that encourages um, children and their parents to go through a a three-and-a-half-year curriculum. That's a long time. I have to persevere to get through that. And sometimes at the three-year mark, they kind of run out of steam. And so my wife is uh, oftentimes preaching this theme about hang in there. It's going to be worth it. Uh, you get to the end, you'll have a, this trophy and the celebration. You're going to learn all these additional things during this time. So hang in there, persevere. And many of them do, and many of them get to the end and, and say, yes, I'm so glad that we hung in there and we finished out the program. Many times as I'm talking to uh, families, um, moms and dads who are in the middle of raising their family and um, they have the late nights and the diapers and the discipline and the school meetings and the practices, and they think this is going to go on forever. And I tell them, hang in there, persevere. Uh, eventually, you will get to that empty nest stage. It's worth it. We've been there for seven years. Hang in there. It's, it's well worth your time. Yeah, Amen. Amen. Which reminds me of a a father's words to his son that I I recently read in a a cool little book called Beginning to Pray. And uh, he has a call to perseverance, to endure, to hang in there. It's kind of maybe shocking to the degree that he, uh, in the example that he uses, but he, he says this. He says, always remember that whether you are alive or dead matters nothing. Can you imagine saying that to your, your child? What matters is what you live for and what you are prepared to die for. Now that's a call to perseverance. It's a call to persevere for the right reasons. And this brings us to another very important piece if we're really going to persevere. We have to have the right cause. Um, how many of you know Joey Chestnut? Joey Chestnut, one of your heroes? Joey, Ch- <laughs> Joey Chestnut is the reigning hot dog eating champion. Eight years in a row. Eight years in a row, he's persevered, and he's won once again. And you know how he prepares? He goes on a three-day food fast. And then he, during that time, he gulps water to enlarge his esophagus so that he can eat as many hot dogs as he can in 10 minutes. Last year, he set the record. He didn't quite meet the record this year. Last year, he met the record. How many hot dogs do you think you could eat in 10 minutes' time? One, two... Maybe five. Uh, the record for uh, hot dogs, and I think it's with the buns, 
69 hot dogs. Yeah. Now, he's an example of perseverance to a certain degree, but not the best example because he doesn't really have a worthwhile cause. I mean, wiener-eating champion of the world. I mean, I, I, and I can't imagine that 30 years from now, he's going to be still competing in hot dog eating. At least I hope he is, and I hope he's moved on to, to something else. And again, here's, a, here's an important key to persevering. It's identifying your cause, your worthwhile cause that God has made you for and called you to. If your cause is hot dog eating trophies or collecting stamps or collecting romantic relationships or collecting a a comfortable lifestyle, you're not going to have the staying power. You're not going to persevere when the going gets tough. The only way that we're really going to bear up with God's help, and that's what it really means. Persevere means to, to carry a certain weight, to bear up under the responsibilities that God has given us. The only way we're going to really bear up is if we have something worth, really worth living for, something worth uh, perhaps even dying for. And of course, there's nothing worth living for and dying for like our friend and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the gifts and the reasons and the purposes that he's given you. So the author of, of Hebrews continues encouraging us in this way. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses and others, in other words, those who have persevered before you, remember them, you're not in this alone, you have, you haven't, you're not the first one to go through what you're going through. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with what? With perseverance, with endurance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes where? On Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who persevered, him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Some of us right now are are facing some tough trials, things that are testing our endurance, our our character, our our patience. And at such times, we may be tempted to take a shortcut, a shortcut to graduation or degree by cheating. Maybe we're tempted to comfort our our hurting heart now through uh, drugs or alcohol or promiscuity. Maybe tempted to look to someone outside of our marriage because we feel that our needs are not getting met. But you know what God wants you to do? You know what God wants you to know? First of all, he wants you to know that you can be honest with him. You can be honest about how difficult things are right now and the challenges that you're facing. But then once you're honest with him, he wants you to hang in there. He wants you to strengthen your resolve, strengthen our, res- our wobbly knees by persevering. And we persevere by knowing that, first of all, he's with us and that eventually we will receive the victory and the reward, the relationship. We'll eventually receive the freedom that we all seek. And all we really need to do to persevere is to look to Jesus, who was betrayed, who was tortured, who was killed, and yet he persevered to the end and he received the reward, the reward of eternal glory, of being seated with his Father, having the best seat in the universe. And that same reward is ours as we persevere with him. As we uh, come to the close of our service, we have the opportunity to, uh, to take the Lord's Supper. 
And the Lord's Supper really in many ways is remembering, remembering what all Jesus Christ persevered, all that he went through, and that his invitation to us is what? To join him in a life of love and of grace and of caring and persevering. And um, there's, a, there's a beautiful passage of scripture where Paul, caring for his young apprentice, Timothy, uh, calls him to this life of, life of persevering. First of all, by remembering what Christ did and then encouraging him to hang in there no matter uh, what his circumstances. And as we uh, prepare for the Lord's Supper, I would encourage you to perhaps bow your head and close your eyes and, and to listen to this, uh, this passage of Scripture as a way of uh, preparing your heart to celebrate at the communion table at the Lord's Supper. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.